faithful even when we're not. You never stop loving us. You never stop pursuing us. You never stop chasing after us. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness, that you are good even when we're really terrible. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon was kind of sparked in me two weeks ago when there was something that Kim Cooney shared. and There was a statement that she mentioned, and the thing that she had talked about was she, she talked about being a living sacrifice and being this living sacrifice as our faith and this fire inside us to stay lit. Um, and... This is actually the first sermon that I ever gave. Um, I dug into my old school notes from years, years back, and this is what I found. I got, I mean, I got my notes here from I'm trying to even remember when, how long ago it was. But this came birthed out of me reading Romans. And as I was reading Romans, who knows Romans 12, 1 and 2? Raise your hand if anyone here knows that one. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Is there anyone that knows it by heart that could be able to just spout it off right now? Anyone? No, not that one. Nice try, Derek. <laughs> yep. Present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. I'm going to read it. Um, and I'll read it out of the New Living Translation. This is the translation that... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Winning God points, right? <laughs> yes. So Romans 12, if you want to follow along, you can. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm specifically reading out of the New Living Translation. This is the translation that I read when this came to me from the Lord many years back. So it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When I read this, I, I didn't have much of any understanding of the Old Testament at the time. And I still feel like I don't. <laughs> and I just... I asked the question, I asked the Lord, what is the significance of a sacrifice? Because if you don't understand what a sacrifice is, how would you understand what a living sacrifice is to be, right? And I read where it is in the Old Testament. I, I felt like God told me, well, you want to know what a living sacrifice is? Go read. <laughs> Go read my word, because I have it there. Go look it up. And I did this without a study Bible, and... And I, I mean, God just downloaded on me. Leviticus is where you find this, okay? So I'm going to be reading some out of Leviticus just to bore all of you, right? But here's the thing. I, I read Leviticus, and I was just like soaking it up. 
I mean, Leviticus is the one that tends to get the bad rap, right? Whenever people talk about reading the Bible, have you read the whole Bible, they usually include that one as including Leviticus. <laughs> I always, I don't like to say that because for me, Leviticus really spoke to me. I always say the first nine chapters of First Chronicles because it's literally all genealogy for nine chapters. It's miserable. <laughs> but in Leviticus, it's got a lot of, I mean, it's, it's a book of law. That's what it is. It's a book that was written to the Levitical priesthood to know how to do worship, how the people are to live, how to do sacrifices, what all this stuff is supposed to look like. What's that? Yeah, don't trim your sideburns. Don't, don't mark your body like the n- neighboring nations. That's the one that always is used. Leviticus is where they use to say why tattoos are wrong, but then, but then they also don't uphold the stuff around it, right? So, I've got some notes here just to give a general explanation. The, the chapter I want to really focus on in Leviticus is chapter 1, which talks about the burnt offering, and then chapter 6, which gives further explanation about when the burnt offering is done. So, bear with me here. We'll get through this, all right? But I want you guys to know, when I read this, like, I want you guys to know, when you go ask God your questions, and you say, Lord, speak to me. I want to know. I want to understand. He does. It says in James that if we ask him, wisdom he will give us wisdom if we come to him and believe that he will give it if you don't believe he's going to give it you're not going to get it because it's somebody who's humble that god wants to talk to so starting in chapter one and i'm doing new living translation i feel like it's just a little bit easier to understand some of this stuff yeah i'll start it just straight off at verse one The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle, which was the place that God would meet with the nation of Israel at the time, and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from the herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it shall be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. How many of you are glad we don't have to do this anymore? (laughs) Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence. I will say, if we knew how to do these sacrifices, we would be able to handle if there was a food crisis, a lot easier. <laughs> That's right. Yes, there would be a lot more work. Imagine Shadell if she had to clean up this mess. Nah, I quit. I need a serious raise or else I'm done. <laughs> All right. So, verse 5. Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence and Aaron's sons the priests will present the animal's blood by splattering it against all sides of the altar that stands at the entrance to the tabernacle 
Then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, will build a wood fire on the altar. Then will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and fat, on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That's where I'm going to stop. I'm not going to read all of this chapter because the next part, it just talks about, well, if you're going to do it instead with a sheep or a goat, instead of a cow, uh, a bull, then do it like this. If this, then this. But all says essentially the same thing of what a sacrifice is supposed to look like, what a burnt offering is supposed to look like, how is it supposed to be done. So here's the thing with a burnt offering. The burnt offering was entirely consumed. None of it was eaten by the priests. There's other offerings where they would sit down and they would eat, and this is actually part of what fed the Levites. (laughs) The priests, they would eat of the sacrifices. It would be a way of communing with God that the people would do. But with this one specifically, none of it was to be eaten at all. All of it was consumed on the altar. All of it was consumed in this fire before God. Here's the thing that I wrote down many years ago, and I was reading this stuff. I'm like, wow, God, this was not me. This was really you, because I'm not this smart. (laughs) The sacrifice is ultimate form or expression of love and devotion to something. And if we're supposed to be a living sacrifice, what does that mean for us? It's supposed to be, our life is supposed to be the ultimate expression of love and devotion that we can possibly give, is us giving him ourselves. As much as we feel like maybe we're not worthy of being a sacrifice and being given to God, that, that's another sermon in itself. <laughs> All right, and here's the interesting thing too. When I was reading this years back, I read, I mean, it just, I felt like God was just breathing on me. He was just speaking so clearly to me. The part that talks about the internal organs being washed, guys, there's significance to that. It's this picture of the Holy Spirit filling you inside, washing over you, cleansing you, cleaning you from the inside out. And that's what happens when we choose to give our life to God and say, Lord, I'm not my own, I'm yours. His spirit comes to reside inside of us. He cleans us. He washes us through and through. It says in the word that he speaks over us. He dances over us. We tell our daughter this because she loves to dance. We say, you know God is dancing over you? There's this imagery that it also shares of Jesus washing us in the word. There's a picture in the New Testament that it gives husbands to wash their wives in the word, speak it over them, speak truth to them. One reason why, men, you need to know the word if you're ever going to be able to do that, right? But it, it's this idea of that is actually just a type of what Christ does to us. The Holy Spirit, in relationship with him, he washes you. He washes you from the inside out. 
the organs are they're gross, right? <laughs> when you take these organs out of an animal, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's messy, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, right, it, I'm sure Milo would love it. <laughs> Milo and Bennett. Luella would be like, this is disgusting. <laughs> yeah, she would. She wouldn't even do, she wouldn't even do pumpkins. The guts inside, she wouldn't even touch it. It's not as bad now. But, and then it talks about, it talks about washing the internal organs, right? And then it says to wash the legs, which is like a foreshadowing of a foot washing. Like, thousands of years before Jesus ever washed the disciples' feet. He's saying, I'm washing your feet. And he was saying, wash your feet. <laughs> wash the feet of the sacrifice. And then the significance of Paul talking about being a living sacrifice. People would understand some of this stuff. And if they weren't Jewish background, I'm, I would imagine that he taught about the significance of sacrifices. Yes. Yeah. That's the way I feel. You think about it. He says, if, you're, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me, right? But it was important and required by Levitical law for them to do that in practice of a burnt offering. They were supposed to do this. And the sacrifice that we are to be is supposed to be the burnt offering. Here's the significance of the burnt offering, okay? Burnt offering is most costly. They don't get a part of it. It's all gone. They're giving it up. This animal that would be food for their family, it would be the ability to reproduce to make more food for their family because it had to be a male, right? All of these things, it, it, without blemish, it had to be the best. And it's precisely what Israel really got off track with later on, giving to God sacrifices but they were like handicapped animals. They're like, you don't want them? What makes you think I would too? <laughs> but he's saying, give me yourself and give all of me, all of you to me, right? Yes. Give all of you to me. I give all of me to you, right? <laughs> That's what he did. And then not only that, but he says, give me your best. Don't give me your leftovers. Don't give me... The, the little junk that you don't even want. Give me all of you. That's what I look for. It says that the burnt offering is most costly, and the interesting thing is it wasn't required, but it was something done willingly. It was a choice that they would make to bring a burnt offering to God. It wasn't the atonement sacrifice, okay? that they would do once a year. It wasn't a sin offering, which is another one that you can read a little bit later in the book of Leviticus if you're interested. But it was completely consumed. Ashes were disposed of outside of the tent in a place that was considered to be unclean and they were allowed to just go dump this stuff. This is essentially a landfill for all of the sacrifices. Fire cannot go out. This is really, really significant. I want to read this. If you guys turn now to chapter 6 in Leviticus, 
Actually, you know what? I'm going to wait to get to that. Leviticus 3. This, here's some information on the other offerings, okay? And I'm not going to read these ones straight out of, the, out of Leviticus, okay? But a peace offering symbolized communion and fellowship with God. The fat of the sacrifice was burned. The rest of it was consumed together as a feast. They would eat it together. It would be like communing with God. The fat in Israel represented the best part of the animal. Now, here in America, when we get a really fatty animal, we probably cut the pieces of fat off and throw it away, right? We don't eat it. <laughs> but to them, the extremely, the, the fatty portions of the animal were considered the best part of the animal to eat. Like chunks of fat. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll, with him on this. Yes. But to me, when I eat like a ribeye, and there's like you know larger chunks of fat on the outside, I just eat it in pieces with the rest of the steak, because it's super flavorful. It's juicy. It's succulent. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> And imagine, imagine cutting all of the fat off of the bacon. It, would, it wouldn't be bacon anymore, right? It would be wrong. So, so let, me, let me continue here, and then we'll, we'll talk about our, our love for delicious steak later, okay? But here's the thing. In, in their culture, in their society, those fat portions of the animal were like the filet mignon. They were the best. They were the delicacy of them that's what it was so there's i want to say it was samuel's sons it could have been eli's sons they were despised as well <laughs> but i think it was samuel's sons ate the fat portions i it might have been both even i don't know but you can go look for it yourself it might be eli it might be samuel's sons but the sons of a priest ate the fat portions of the animal, which was extremely wrong, okay? And it was, it was a huge problem. And it was basically, it was them saying, you know what? I'm not going to give you the best God. I'm going to take it for myself, which is what they were doing. And that's why they were never, like, with sacrifices, they were literally never I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure my, my facts are straight. They were never supposed to eat the fat portions of any sacrifice. None of them they consumed. It's like, go consume your own, sacrifice, your own food for your family like that. When you bring me a sacrifice, I get the best. It's for me, not for you. So the fat in, in Israel represented the very best of the animal. And it's God saying, in a way, like, you really want to have peace with me? You want to feel peace with me? Stop holding out on me. Stop holding back on me. Give me what I ask for. Give me your best. And you'll get it. <laughs> you want to have that wonderful communion? Then give me 
the best, and it'll feel sweet. It'll be wonderful. When you know that you're, in, in a way, when you know that you have something between you and the Lord, what does it do to your relationship with Him? Do you feel at peace? <laughs> it's miserable, right? <laughs> if there's this big problem between you and God, you feel it. David felt it. Daniel talked about that this morning. Broken and contrite heart, you don't despise. And when he, he was talking about one of the Psalms, I believe it was Daniel this morning, right? When David was in one of his Psalms, in Psalm 51, Lord, make me clean. Because <laughs> he felt unclean. And that's what God wants from us, is to come to him and know that he's the one that's going to be able to wash you. Because he's the high priest. That's what it says in Hebrews, that he's the high priest now over us. Leviticus 4 talks about sin offering. The blood was poured out onto the altar, and the blood represented the life of the animal. You can read that in Leviticus as well. It was symbolic of the life that the animal was giving. And it's why the blood of Jesus is so significant. It's why we take communion and the, the wine, the grape juice, whatever, whatever you want to say, <laughs> represents his life given for us, right? The fat of the sin offerings was burned up and rest of sacrifice carried out to ash heap and burned with the ashes <laughs> for a sin offering. They didn't even consume that. And it also wasn't burned inside the temple as an offering <laughs> there. They would just do the fat portions. They would give the best of the animal. And then the rest of the animal, they would take outside the camp to the place where all the ashes were dumped, gotten rid of. They would bring wood, light the wood on fire on top of the ashes, and then put the sacrifice on top of it. Here's what God told me with that. Ashes are useless. Sin offering was a purification, and the offering burned on ashes showed sin being good for nothing. It's good for nothing in you. <laughs> nothing in your life. It's worthless. Get rid of it. <laughs> Allow God to get rid of it. God trades us beauty for ashes, right? Leviticus 5 was the guilt offering. It was compensation for guilt. When known exact wrong done to neighbors supposed to give back and more and ask forgiveness. So it's in a way, if you read this passage in Romans, it says, this is your spiritual worship. There's some translations that say, when you consider all that he's done for you, isn't it enough to ask? <laughs> like, he died for you. Paid the penalty you deserve. You should give him back and more. Give him your life and everything that you have to offer. And allow him to use every part of you because he created it for his own goodness and his own glory. Now here's the big part. You can jump to chapter 6 now. Oh. I'll silence that. <laughs> so in Leviticus, chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 8. 
Starting in verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, and I want you guys to hear how many times it says to keep the fire burning. The Lord says to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the burnt offering. The burnt offering must be left on top of the altar until the next morning. And the fire on the altar must be kept burning all night. Good thing this wasn't mandatory. Imagine if everybody did this every night. (laughs) And priests would not sleep very much. (laughs) In the morning, after the priest on duty has put on his official linen clothing and linen undergarments, he must clean out the ashes of the burnt offering and put them beside the altar. Then he must take off these garments, change back into his regular clothes, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. So how many times does it say that? Three times. Right, it says to keep burning three times and never go out twice. (laughs) What I often tell people is if the Bible says something more than once, it's important. (laughs) I mean, it's important regardless. More than once, it's really important. If it says it three times or more, it's screaming at you. In Jewish culture, they didn't have exclamation points in their writing, okay? In Hebrew writing. An exclamation point wasn't a thing in their literature. They said it twice. That's what they would do, is they would repeat it to give emphasis. So if it was said more than twice, it's like the way we would do multiple exclamation points on something. So when you read the book of Revelation and you see in there they say, holy, 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 it's talking about them screaming it. It's not just necessarily them repeating it, although it's probably true. It was a way of John putting emphasis to it. They are shouting this. This consumes them. This is what they're all about. So when it says in here to not let it go out, and even at the end it says, remember the fire must be kept burning. Don't forget this. How many of you have had a fire go out camping in the middle of the night and you have to relight the thing? (laughs) It's miserable, right? It's much easier to just wake up for a slight moment, throw a log on it, and go back to sleep than to wake up and go, oh no, that's why I woke up. I'm freezing. (laughs) And have to rebuild the fire all over again. Hopefully, there's enough embers there to where it's not entirely painful. But there was one time for myself up at Homestake Lodge, this was for a retreat that we had done for our ministry, and I was keeping the fire burning, and... At one point, the thing went out. (laughs) I was up way longer that night 
than most of the night. And it was miserable. Now here's the crossover into the spiritual connection, okay? We are supposed to be this, we're supposed to have this fire burning inside us, right? And when you come to faith in Jesus, it's like a raging inferno a lot of the time, right? A true giving yourself to the Lord conversion of saying, Lord, I'm all yours, forgive me. And you have this encounter with God that changes you. It's this fire blazing, right? But what happens with the fire? If you're not maintaining the fire, if you're not keeping it lit, keeping it burning, it does what? It starts to die. It starts to go down. And it might be just a small flame is better than no flame, right? At least there's a flame. And that's something I think there's some people that go, well, I just, I'm just not on fire like I used to be. It's like, well, that right there just shows there's at least a pilot light there <laughs> telling you, hey, throw a log on. <laughs> Throw the fire on. The fat portions are what they threw on, and fat was something that burned. <laughs> it's fuel. <laughs> they would throw the fat portions of the peace offering onto the altar for the burnt offering to burn with it, and it would be this thing that would allow it to consume it easier and burn it up more. <laughs> when you're at peace with God, the, the fire stays lit way easier. <laughs> as long as you're keeping regular fellowship and communion with God, the fire is to never go out. That's what God was telling the people. And when I read this for the first time, that never read the book of Leviticus at that moment, I was like, I always was told, oh, Leviticus, never read that one. You're going to fall asleep. Guys, I was wide awake <laughs> when I was reading this. I read these words in there, and God's telling me, this is what I'm talking about. Your fire needs to keep burning. And it's up to you, not me, this is God telling me this, for it to stay ablaze. It is not on me to keep this thing burning. Because if it was, I'm willing. <laughs> I want it to keep burning. Right? God doesn't want these fires to go out, obviously. We just read about it. But he's saying, you have some work to do. There is some responsibility on you for your faith to stay strong, to keep growing. Because if you never let the fire stay burning, what good would a log being thrown on it do? It's going to do nothing. In fact, if there's a little one on there, you've you got to really, really manage it, right? <laughs> Or you'll totally, totally put the thing out by throwing a big log on it. But when it's blazing, it's so easy to keep it burning, right? So here's what I have to say to you guys. Where in your life, where in your walk with the Lord, has it gone from a raging inferno to a pilot light, to just this little thing, to maybe even it's gone? And God's saying, you need me to light a new fire. <laughs> if you let me, I will. <laughs> You've got to let me come. You've got to let me do this. It's not 
something that he's going to do without you. He doesn't just light you on fire for him without your willingness. That's the significance of the burnt offering. It was a choice. It was not mandatory. They didn't have to do it. It was a willingness that they were making. Let me read this last part. It's just going to be the same thing we read at the start, Romans 12. I want you guys to hear this and see this now with the context of Leviticus, now with the context of the Old Testament and what I shared with you guys. And then I've got a song for you guys. I'm not. (laughs) I mean, I'll sing it, but not for you guys. (laughs) Hey, I don't have a bad voice, okay? Yes. Yeah, sure. The colder your heart, the harder it is to burn in light. Yeah. And here's the thing. And this, that's, that's a good point. I'll mention this. Something at the internship Caitlin and I met each other at. The guy there, he would, he would talk about taking your cold heart before the altar of God to warm it up. Like if your heart has turned cold, you bring it to God and he, he's going to thaw it. Yeah, he would say, you need to drag your cold heart because your cold heart doesn't want to go, right? The spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. And I just think if God can take a heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh when he was speaking to Ezekiel, if he can do that in a really, really hardened heart time of Israel, what's to say he can't do that with you? It's all a matter of you saying, go ahead, God. Choosing to let him do it. Dragging your cold heart before the altar and letting him warm it up. Let me read this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I'm going to pray, and then Caitlin's going to play this song. It's, if you just turn off this up here, if you're in Pro Presenter, there's top right, there's a, all right, no, I've got it already. It's got to be, it's got to be, no, I have it on YouTube on the screen up here. Caitlin. Yeah, I have it up here because on Amazon, it shuffles everything. You don't have control of the song you play anymore. 
It is. <laughs> so I have it on YouTube so that we can play precisely what we wanted to play. So, yeah, turn this off. It's an audience button in the top right. It's green right now. It'll turn off. Did you? Yep, there it is. Woohoo! So you can make it full screen on the right side there if you want. Yep, right there. Woohoo! It's right there. Yep, you're good. All right, I'm going to pray and then just hit the space bar when time is right. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, Lord, we present ourselves to you. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that lately has not been giving themselves to you wholeheartedly, entirely, all-consuming, God, I pray that tonight it would be different. Tonight would mark the change in our relationship with you. Lord, if there's anything that's at odds between us, that is causing us to not feel at peace with you. Lord, I pray that we would bring that sacrifice to you. We would sacrifice that sin, get rid of it, and say, it's good for nothing. I get rid of it. It's gone. Because you cleans me. You have cleaned me. You have cleansed me. You have washed me clean. You robe us with righteousness, is what your word says. You give us beauty for ashes. God, I just pray that this would mark us to be something where when we go to you in your word, we would ask questions of you and wait expectantly for you to say something to us, to give us more understanding, more knowledge, more truth, more wisdom, more ability to walk this out with you because we're with you. We're communing with you. We're not doing this alone. Lord, I pray that we would remember that your spirit has been placed inside us. You are where we are, and where we go, you go. We would think about that regularly. We would think about the choices we make, the things that we do as if it's a living sacrifice doing it. And that should impact us in our decisions and the choices we make. May you be blessed in our worship, which is to 